Entre nous. This whole goddamn trip is entre nous. Stand up. What? Stand up for the lady, you bore. Cretin. I'm Jessica Benoist Young. And I'm Melanie Reeve. And this is Best Line. Worst Line. Wow. We are, wow. We are back to our roots. Wow. Wow. I have a couple of things to say about this. Number one, this is the first in a long time that it's just been you and me. I know. Exciting. I know. Um, and secondly, this podcast started... Um, with some Oscar fair, it did, it did. Um, and so we are back to our roots today, doing this one's an Oscar better than both of the ones we did last I, year. I really or two years ago. No, I really loved. I really loved Nightmare Alley. I know I you thought did. Nightmare Alley was very good, but this um, movie I think this is, is just it's, me. It's, so it's my type of movie. Same. This is exactly it's my what too. I go look for when I'm trying to decide what to go I, see or what to watch. <sighs> You know, I um, you know that I don't necessarily, and I'm starting to more after now. Four, I'm on my almost fourth year of living in Los Angeles. I'm seeing movies more. Um, I am fi- because I'm finding a. I know it's out there more. B. This podcast has helped a lot. C. I know a lot of people who work in movies and things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go support them. But I'm really, and I think like part of it is like when you don't live in LA. I mean, and are not like movie obsessive. Like I wasn't watching TV in Colorado Springs or I like, wasn't watching TV with commercials. I was watching plenty of TV as we know. I'm a TV person. Um, but I wasn't, I didn't know. And I didn't have billboards telling me it was out there. So I like never right. knew what movies were out there, especially right. never knew what smaller movies were out there. Yeah. Um, I knew the big yeah. ones, obviously. And I'm not a Marvel person really. Like I'm right. not, that's not my thing. And so I just like wasn't seeing movies. Um, ironically, the movies that I would like go see the twice a year that I went to go see movies was a Marvel movie because I'd go with, with my family for Thanksgiving. But right. um, but now that I'm here, I'm hearing a lot about what people are talking about. And I kept hearing people talk about how lovely The Holdovers was. And they were correct. I watched it. They were correct. First of all, they were correct. I watched it on Tuesday, which it has been a really, it was really rainy in LA um, the week that we're recording this. It was really rainy. And I mean, normally I would say like we're babies in LA, like any sort of weather we just complain about. Um, but this one, we actually like, this was like weather. Like it was we, crazy. It was atmospheric crazy. river. We had flood watches. It was like, I didn't leave my apartment for four days and it was dreary and I didn't see a person. And I just started to feel kind of like, like a general malaise. I was lazy. I didn't want to do anything. Even things I wanted to do, I didn't want to do. Um, I didn't have any quality time with people. And that's a really big one for me. It's like, I need to, like, I don't need to be around a ton of people, but I do need to have like some quality connection. And for after, it doesn't have to be like every day, but after four days of like really just being by myself, it was just like, I'm feeling it right now. Mm-hmm. And so on Tuesday night, I was like, I'll just watch the movie. I know I need to watch it. Um, I know it's kind of long, but like, I'll watch it tonight. And it put me, it was the exact right movie for that mood because it was like the holdover. It was just lovely. 
I mean, it was was like a warm hug. It was melancholy and bittersweet, but also hopeful and all of the things that I want in a movie. It was just, it was not flashy. It's not, it's not flashy. It's not surprising. It is a very predict, it is a very common trope. It is a boarding school movie, coming of age movie. But you know what? The tropes work for a reason. I loved it. Well, like you were saying, you didn't get that human connection. But I think that one of the things this movie does so incredibly is like, so very subtly, again, like not in your face, not flashy, but like, oh my God, like just the instant connection you feel with these characters and how fleshed out and grounded and real these characters are. And you feel that like I can, I can understand that this movie like would fill that need in you of like, I know this isn't a real person. These aren't real people, but it feels like you are in this with these real people that you actually know. That's just how incredibly they, they jump off the screen Uh and feel so, you know, just, and, and that's, that's the story choice. That's a writing choice. That's, these, acting, the acting, directing, I mean, the, the cinematography. It was, they so, it was lovely. So these both, both of the adult leads, um, or they both won Golden Globes. So yes, Paul Giamatti Paul won Giamatti. a Golden Globe and Divine Joy Randolph won Best Supporting Actress. They are both And is the, I nominated. think, front runner for the Oscar. She is, I think, the front runner she for the is? Oscar. Oh. I think so. For supporting, I think she is the front runner for, or or a Good. front runner for the Oscar. Good. I really, this is the only Oscar movie I've seen, and I really think she deserves it. Wait, you've seen Barbie? <laughs> no, I have not yet. I'm saving it for. It's going to be a <gasps> fresh discussion. Ooh, no, I I've thought about. I've been yet. planning on watching it for a very long time, and then when we, when I had not watched it. But then we decided we were going to do it for this podcast. I was like, no, I think it should be a first watch. I think that's going to be the best content is for you. Because you've seen it a couple times. Once. And I loved it. No, twice. Twice and I loved it. Twice and I loved it. You know, I think it's going to be... I think it's going to be good if it's my first watch. I think so. I do too. That's what I thought. Okay, so So. this is the only Oscar movie you've seen then. So <laughs> Wow. Okay. Um, I think, so I think I, I mean, if I went down the list, maybe I've picked up a couple here and there, but uh, right. Yeah. I mean, but to your point about why it kind of filled that void for me, the connection, I mean, I think that's why I like TV generally and where I'm more of a TV person yeah. is because I do yeah. like getting to know the people and the characters and want to know their stories. Like, I mean, especially when you have that comfort show, like, you know, Gilmore Girls, or for me, Candy Renoir, my French show that I'm obsessed with. Um, Like when you have that, those shows where you're just like, the acting is good, the writing is real. You like, like, I feel like I'm a part of those characters' lives. I'm not. They're not real. They're not real people. Um, In fact, in, in Candy Renoir, I was talking about like, you know, how they have like the on again, off again relationship of things. Like I was saying, if this was a real relationship, this would be like the most toxic thing and you wouldn't want them together. But like, because it's like right a television series, you're like, oh no, they need to Do be it. together. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's it. like Luke and Lorelai too, you know, any of those. 
But um, anyway, all that is to say, like, I feel like such a deep connection and it's those characters stay with you. And that's how I felt leaving this movie. Um, Mm -hmm. It was so grounded and so real. And I think that like the performances were just so lovely. Amazing. Um, And yeah, um, fun thing that I learned, um, a friend of a friend um, wrote the script. This script is freaking amazing. This now, script in is incredible. My in my head, when I had looked at this movie in the past, I thought that Alexander Payne wrote this because I think he wrote Sideways, and that was his. He that was twenty did. years ago. He did write and Sideways? He won. I think he won, mm-hmm. or he was nominated for an Oscar at least. I saw that movie in the theater. It came out twenty years ago. Um, Paul Giamatti was not nominated for an Oscar for that movie. And I am so pissed about it to this day. Um, so that was kind of their, their first, um, big movie together. And so then in my head, I was like, oh yeah. Like, so it's Paul Giamatti and Alexander Payne together again. So I just like assumed that Alexander Payne wrote this screenplay. He did not. Uh, please tell me the name. I had it pulled up um, um and i don't i cannot find the tab where i pulled it up anymore but it's a fantastic screenplay it's sort of um autobiographically david hemmingson okay it's a little bit uh inspired by his time in boarding school i believe uh yes just, it is wow yeah Amazing. it's it's a beautiful script i mean he said like in in one interview he said that there was some dialogue taken verbatim from his own life. Like the, the, um, <laughs> the scene with the sex worker, the sex worker where the sex worker comes up and pro- propositions Paul Giamatti. Like that dialogue was candy cane taken, was taken from, yeah. Candy cane was taken from his own life. Um, and like the euphemism of the candy cane was just uh, Amazing. great. I loved that. I mean, it's just like the script is so, it's so chock full of everything, you know? Um, right. It's so, so, so good. Um, I just, well, I, I can't. Love, I love when we get an authentic character that is still able to speak the way that um, Mr. Hunnam, Paul Hunnam, which is the character that Paul Giamatti plays. I love when we have a character that gets to speak that way very um very verbose and lyrical and educated and just poetic but like it's authentic for that character that's a very Mm -hmm. hard thing to pull off so hard and not have it seem like what you know what are we doing like you know, we, we just did Con Air and Cyrus, the virus is fantastic. But do I believe that character a hundred percent? No, I believe he's a caricature, um, of in, of a very well-educated, uh, very smart sociopath. Do I think that there's like a person like that going around in the 1990s speaking that way? No. Do I think that there would be this, you know, this private boarding school instructor in 1970 going around talking like this? Yes. Yes. I do. Yes, I do. Especially (laughs) one who... And with that, oh, 
I wasn't quite sure if this was, if this was like a period piece for lack of a better term. I, I wasn't sure. I, yeah. I think I kind of was like, oh, it probably from like how things looked. But as soon as he spoke, I was like, okay, this is at least, this is 70 or before because he's using like a 1960s New England accent. That's yeah. how freaking minute Paul Giamatti, yeah. like I placed it immediately. I was like, because nobody really it's has that. that it's that, that older New England the mid-Atlantic accent the that mid-Atlantic, everybody was trained. Yes. Yep. If you were an mm-hmm. actor and like, it's that accent that you can't place that Angela Lansbury But he didn't has. have much of or, it. It was no. just a little bit left over, which was a very 1960s thing. Like people were moving out of it. Mm-hmm. And so he's not moving on from that. And that's would be so true for that character. So, and, so <sighs> true. I mean, I think the other thing too, like, these are the so details. That, oh. it's, it's so detailed. And like even the filming of like, it's it's made to look like it was filmed in the 1970s. Yes. Yeah. Like, and like the credits were very. It's a brilliant um, choice. Like everything is so intentional. So to, if you've not seen The Holdovers, spoiler alert. I mean, this whole podcast is a spoiler alert. We know this. But um, so the, the movie is... Um, it takes place in a New England boarding school, which like I was talking to somebody else about this recently who also just said she loved it and didn't expect to um, because mm-hmm. like of the trope of how many times have we seen a rich white boy boarding school done? I mean, it is, and well, a lot of them are great movies. Well, not that many, but <laughs> personally but, like, no, not but, that many, no, I guess. <laughs> but in film, it's happened. But like a lot oh, of them yeah, are great movies. Like, I mean, I'm thinking Dead Poet I mean, Society. A, Dead Poet Society, a separate piece, uh, which is a book. I haven't seen a separate piece. I read it though. It's, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if there is a movie, but a separate piece. Like, I think there was it a is, movie. Like in in literature, in movies, it is such a like common trope. Right. It is. And a trope. It's like, you are do correct. I need us? Do I need to see another movie, another coming of age movie about these rich white boys in? some era like learning to not be assholes um like is that really is that a story that like is a like you know we talk about originality and like telling different stories like is that really but i mean there is there is such value in having different versions of it and i think what made this so lovely is that it wasn't what, it, what made this one so compelling is it wasn't the, like, here's the school year. It was really what right. happens on this break where the, it's called the holdovers because That's these what they boys, call the kids that don't get to go home for Christmas break. Holiday Exactly. Break. The holiday break. And there are five, originally five boys left. Um, one, and one who was supposed to go meet his mom for the hot or go home. Ma- she Mom and her and stepdad. Yeah. They end up going, take Donovan. They decide to go on their honeymoon, even though he's been gone for three months, but like, though they just didn't have time before, which like you learn so much about that character right then. Like you learn so much about yeah. how he grew up, what his background is, the trauma, yeah. like his mom is choosing, he's been gone for three months. He wants nothing more than to go home and see his mom. And his mom is choosing a, beach getaway with her new husband new rich husband instead of her son 
and yeah. this kid is just broken. And you see that he's broken because he fights with the other kids. He gets in fights with, like, he gets in a tiff with Paul Giamatti because also Paul Giamatti's character is the curmudgeon professor that nobody likes. No because, tolerance for these boys whatsoever. No, and he, <laughs> like, he fails all of them. The highest grade he gives is, like, a C- minus on tests. Mm-hmm. Um, basically ruins their future academic chances because we learn later that he's, I mean, obviously I think some of it is from what we learn later about his own academic journey. And he was, he was the poor kid who got a scholarship to this school and this school was and everything And a rich kid him. ruined his, his Harvard education. Yeah, his Harvard education, his career, his prospects. And he worked so hard and he has this like grudge against these kids who take everything for granted everything for granted um and doesn't and sees you know life changing from when he was in school and isn't catching up to it um Mm -hmm. but also like he has some point about like they need to try but he's also like too hard so we i mean i think just like even getting the setup of the movie is i love that they started with a choral rehearsal. Like I thought that was so brilliant because it puts yeah. you right in the time and place of that school. It's a private, like a Catholic boarding school. Um, I believe so. There's, I mean, it has to be because there's in so Boston, much hymnal in, in New England. Somewhere outskirts of Boston. Boston. Yeah. Um, he says at one point, he says, but the text is part of the music. And I just like wrote down music is nothing if it's not communication, because that's what I used to say all the time. <laughs> and, so you just one thing I will say. One thing I will say about this boarding school is um, it's it honestly seems a little laid back. There were a lot of mm-hmm. hairstyles I don't think would have been allowed at a Catholic boarding school in nineteen sixteen or nineteen seventy. A lot of boys rocking some pretty hippie hairstyles in that opening shot of the banquet hall, and I was like, I don't think that would well, be happening. And you even have the one, but you have the one later who's like, my dad is mad at me for growing out my hair. That whole thing is that he, what he's having a standoff with his uber rich dad about yeah, cutting one of his the hair. And I'm like, I think is, the school would make you cut your hair, child. One of the kids who is left over or hold, one of the holdovers is he's a holdover because his dad won't pick him up. His dad who like, he's could the come star pick up, quarterback. He's like, this perfect Super rich little kid. kid he's could come he's pick pretty him polite up. he's yeah. nice he's not the he's asshole he's just having he's a power Kuntz. struggle with his dad yeah Kuntz mm-hmm. is and dad. then the dad eventually relents and comes with the helicopter and all the takes four the of rest the five of the boys children. and that just leaves angus with uh paul so paul giamatti's character is also named paul Which- and they um they're the two left then. And they, from the beginning, had this standoff when Paul Giamatti gives them back to their tests. And Jess gets into one of your, I think, favorite lines, which was... Oh, he's he's giving out the tests, their final tests, and just Fs and Fs and Ds and Cs everywhere. And these kids are like, oh, God. And he's like... I can tell by your faces that many of you are shocked at the outcome. I, on the other hand, am not, because I have had the misfortune of teaching you this semester, and even with my ocular limitations, I witness firsthand 
Your glazed, uncomprehending expressions. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's so good. Um, and I missed the ocular limitations line early on, which I is too. important because the lazy eye comes back yes. later as a thing. Um, also, Paul Giamatti is not supposed to be the one with the holdovers. He only, he kind of- No. He's, he, he's forced into it because somebody makes up an excuse that he a can't do it. Virgins. Right. And, and the headmaster the hates him. headmaster is I don't think he hates him. No, I think he's, he's just, tired of his shit. Yeah. And he's pissed off at him for not playing this big rich people politics game because he had failed uh, a senator's kid like the pre the mm-hmm. prior year, the prior semester. So um so he's in he's in this shit with the headmaster and the headmaster seems like he's trying to be patient, realizes he's a great teacher, trying to keep him on board. Well, and we learn later Um, that the headmaster was his student. Was his student in his first year. Mm -hmm. So he's now reporting to somebody he taught, which woof. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I don't really have a worst line but I do have these little things that were sticking out to me as like potential inaccuracies or 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 like places where the overall like premise just was a little thin um and I do find it personally hard to believe that a um the Mormon boy so one of the boys is like young 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 he's like middle school aged um, yeah. two of them look like they're probably about 13. Yeah. Um, so one of them is Korean. Yeah. I can't, I think he was Korean. I think so too. And, um, and then the other one is a Mormon mm-hmm. from Provo and his parents are in Paraguay on a mission. Mm-hmm. I don't think they send couples on missions when they have a child i would think maybe the father would go just the dad but not the mom too if they have a kid and and were mormons were slash are mormons sending their children to new england boarding schools i don't i i assume given how they have their own boarding schools so i assume given how tight this script is and how intentional Things are paid. These have to be like people I think from. I think it's either a anecdotal past. or or well researched. Like right. I, I think that there is a. But I like. Th- but this I did find it hard to believe. Otherwise, it's too intentional. Right. Otherwise. But I do find it hard to believe that they were able to get a, a hold of Mormon boys' parents in, in Paraguay, Paraguay, and not but not. Um, yeah, that that's Tully's, convenient. Tully's uh, parents, who I don't think had left for St. Kitts at that point, or maybe they had. Well, this is before cell phones, so like there's there's a obviously. I mean, <laughs> but, but I that's think why I think it's because long distance calls at that time, international long distance calls at that time were hard, and so that and right. I, but so if like they had a, a location where, in Paraguay to contact them or like could contact the LDS but church the or something kinds of places the maybe that's what it is is that he just had like this long line of potential emergency contacts like a yeah. grandmother or something or yeah. just like call the call the temple and anybody can vouch for me I guess that's right. what it has to be um so that was kind of my 
I thought that was, I was just so pissed off about the whole ski trip situation. I was like, really? In 1970, we're just going to let all these kids get on a freaking helicopter? Actually, yeah, probably more likely. I, I felt, poor, poor, more, probably more likely it was, doing it then than now, for sure. I felt like here was my whole thing with it. I felt like it would have been more realistic that they just went ahead and let Tully go back in the 70s because they would have been like less they would have been like, oh, you're almost 18 and you don't need your parents' permission, blah, blah, blah. Like things were a little more lax back then about that type of thing. But or not Paul Giamatti. The but types not, of parents, that's true. But not, but but the not types Mr. Hunter. of parents that would send their children to that boarding school would not be the types of parents who would be like, yes, get on a helicopter with a stranger rich man and go ski I would think they would say like, no, just go ahead and stay at the school. I don't want you getting on a helicopter and going and engaging in a, in a dangerous activity where you probably won't have any supervision from this man, from the adult. Once you land, they didn't have another chaperone. Right. Uh, what's his butt's dad is not going to take care of them. Like it didn't seem realistic to me. Just that part that, that all the parents would be able to be gotten a hold of. And that all of them would say yes. You know, I think it's very and, I, and it's part convenient. of it is because I just felt so bad for Tully. <laughs> yes, it is convenient. I will give you that. Um, I mean, we have to have this so we can get to all of the good stuff. We have to have them alone. Like it, it has to be there. But I, I, I guess because it happened so quickly and it is so convenient and like just thinking this is the seven this is 1970 like I feel like we're I, I don't know it just didn't feel right to me that the, all these parents were we could get a hold of them in international countries like that and then like that they all said yes that just didn't it is I convenient I will give you that um Yet it sets up, but it's the catalyst to have. You need you need everybody else to leave, yeah, in order for yes. Tully to stay. Um, so I, we're left with Mr. Hunnam, Angus Tully, and the cook Mary Lamb, who mm-hmm. we see very early on has just lost her son, um, who was 19 years old and had gone to the school as a, as a as as a student. A he was on scholarship student and and um, she took just the job lost him in, also. in the vietnam war she yeah. took the job literally so he could go to the school right um before we get so before the other boys leave though there's a moment with Poontz, who is the biggest asshole of the kids and the one thing i will Huge. say for for me was like i wanted a little bit more at the end i wanted comeuppance comeuppance for Koontz, but that also isn't that wasn't we didn't I wanted it because I wanted that resolution, but we also didn't need it. Like that kid wasn't going to get it. it. And, you know, one of the lines that Hunnam says early on is like, for most people, Mr. Koontz, life is like a hen house ladder, shitty and short. You were born lucky. Shitty and short. Maybe sometime you, someday you entitled little degenerates will appreciate that. If you don't, I feel sorry for you and we will have not done our jobs now eat because he's complaining about how bad the food is. 
And this right. woman, the Mary, she's the only one who's left in the kitchen. She's the head of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. She's cooking for and these she boys. she said they're not going to get any more deliveries. Mm-hmm. Like she says something. It's kind of just a quick little conversation, but she's talking to somebody and she's like, I don't think we're even getting any deliveries over the holidays. So whatever I have is what I have. Right. And so she's she's cooking for these boys. And this kid is such an ass that he's like complaining about the food and she can hear it and he's just being such an ass about it and paul giamatti like invites her to sit down with them he loses it on them because he sees i mean he was the scholarship kid he wasn't one of these kids and he sees how a he sees you know her pain but he also sees how hard she's working for these kids you know um who don't who aren't appreciating her um and that's where you see that this cold man cold exterior he has he has no social abilities like he's just socially inept but he has a heart and you can see that Mm -hmm. that he deeply deeply cares and has just built up these walls around himself because he's so he's been hurt so much in the past and hasn't felt that love and that it's just such a beautiful performance from him from from mary or from divine playing mary um it's it's beautiful well and it's such a hard it's such a crappy situation that he's ended up in and he knows it because he has this profound respect for the material that he's teaching. Mm -hmm. And he has this profound respect for teaching in general. And he has no respect for these boys whatsoever because they're all the thing that he hates, the thing that brought him down. He sees that none of them care for this material or for, or for succeeding in school in any subject, um, they're all, as he he says when he's having the conversation with the um, with the headmaster about how he's going to stay on, and he kind of brings up like this is because of the whole senator thing, um, blah blah blah, and he mm-hmm. they're talking about the kid in question, and he says that boy is too dumb to pour piss out of a boot. Love it, wonderful line. Um, and they're kind of going back and forth because, and they're going back and forth about how he should have handled the situation. And he says, we cannot sacrifice our integrity on the altar of their entitlement. And that is just how he feels about every single one of these kids. Mm -hmm. And you see that he is right in a lot of these cases. I think Kuntz is like the, the, he's the one that really is that character to the max i think yeah because he's he's out there putting his entitlement on display constantly and being very vocal and and rude and brash about it and and that's just kind of what causes him to snap and also he's very attuned and empathetic to what mary's going through and i think you see having lost her son and it is such a commentary on difference in what somebody who's a professor, even if he was the poor kid, but he's still a white man professor, what he is able to say to these kids versus what somebody like Mary is able to say to these kids, because she doesn't say anything to Koontz. But later that night, that first night. Well, Koontz seems like offended that he would invite her to sit down at the table. Like he gives him a look like, oh my God, how dare you? I'm not eating with this black cook. Right. Which is just abhorrent. But like, but that's yeah. the kid. That kid is this entitled little asshole. Um, but what yeah. you see later, 
Mary is watching the newlywed game, which I freaking loved that they were watching the newlywed game. And I loved that he's, mm-hmm. you know, um, Paul said he, she's explaining the concept to him. And he says, that sounds like courting disaster. And Mary says, that's the whole damn point. Sit down, broaden that's your horizons. <laughs> and it's so lowbrow and trashy for Hanim to watch. But he's, they're talking in this. He gets into it. He gets into it. And they end up talking, they're drinking whiskey. They're talking about um, life and things. And Mary is talking about her son and how he had to start set on Swarthmore and he had the grades. Like he did work hard. He was because he, he wasn't one of these entitled kids. He worked hard and he just, even with financial aid, he didn't, he couldn't do it. And then he didn't have a student deferment. So he needed to go, but he couldn't defer because he didn't have a student deferment. So he had to go to Vietnam, which like, you know, like I, they don't say early on how her son dies. You just know she's recently lost somebody. Um, and then as they start having, yeah, you really actually have to put the dates, the timeline of this movie together yourself from just kind of contextual and environmental clues. Uh-huh. It's not until the very end of the movie when they're celebrating New Year's. No, that you they, see that they, they're go- It's this conversation that I was like. It is? Yeah. Well, she doesn't say Vietnam oh, I must directly, but he's like, hey, Ma, look at the upside. When I get discharged, I can go to college on the GI Bill. College. And then it's like, oh, he died in Vietnam. Like that to me was like, oh, oh, yeah. yeah no, I knew he was. I knew it was Vietnam, but the, the like the actual year. Oh, yeah. I kept no. Going, OK, this is somewhere between like 68 right. and 72, 73. Um, I was then I was sort of leaning towards like early Vietnam War and like. So I just couldn't quite get the year, but then at towards the very end, you see that we're going from 1970 to 1971. So we're right in the middle of Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I always, I, I, I knew it was Vietnam. I, I knew it couldn't be Korea because it was very obviously uh, late Later. 60s or early 70s. Right. Uh, Aesthetic. Fashion. Well, and Aesthetic, so yeah. in that conversation, she says... And here we are with my Curtis cold in the, in the cold ground and those boys safe in their warm beds. It's like you said, life is a hen house ladder. That's right. I can hear everything you're saying from the kitchen. So she's heard everything Koontz has said. And so she says, especially that Koontz mm-hmm. kid, crown prince of all the little assholes. And um, yeah, like it's her performance is heartbreaking in this whole entire. I mean, you see why she's winning awards and getting that talk because oh, it God. is. I know it is you see the restraint that she had to have earlier when she's just been so insulted and so uh, degraded by this kid. And then just the sadness and everything come out here. Well, yeah. And like we said, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here. Yeah. But like we said, like this is such an authentic portrayal. We're not like forcing these scenes like we would have in a typical plot progression type movie. Um where like, oh, let's have her have this big media emotional scene where she has some, we don't do that. We see her, we have these more realistic portrayals of how mm-hmm. people actually go through their their emotional process. Like they go to this um, Christmas party of of the, she's, is she an administration or I is she another instructor? No, I, I think she's like an administrative assistant. Lydia, Miss Crane. Miss Crane. Lydia, and that's right. Lydia Crane. She's clearly friendly and like it almost seems like she's flirting with or interested in yeah. 
um, mm-hmm. Paul Giamatti. Um, he calls her Miss Crane, and then they run into her at the restaurant. They go to a restaurant because Angus. And she's waiting. She waits tables and takes on extra, extra shifts. shifts. Yeah. Anyway, what were you going to say about Lydia? So they go to this party. The three of them yeah. go to this party later on, and and she's that she's, she's hosting. She's got invited sort of them. A friendly. Right, and and Mary kind of has this friendly, maybe potentially romantic relationship with the janitor, yes. who also has been coming in in the more in the in the break. mornings or e- evenings or something during yeah. the break, and so they're there and they're kind of cuddling on the couch, listening. And she has taken over; they've taken over the record machine, the music, and she's getting drunk. Yes, and she's putting on her son's favorite record, and it's her first Christmas. Without and her son. someone wants. Yeah, and someone wants to come change the music, and she breaks. She says, don't you dare touch that. I mean, screams, don't you touch that record. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of move away from that. We go see the other characters and what's happening, but then we start to, then we come back to her, and she's having a panic attack in the kitchen. Yeah, She is sobbing. She can't breathe, and... And that is so much more impactful and realistic than having her like break earlier, dump all her emotion on him and get teary eyed in this conversation that she has with him, you know, in any of these conversations that she has with him, because it's not like that. I mean, it can be like that, but it is way more likely that it's going to sneak up on you and hit you like a ton of bricks when you're out trying to live your life. Mm-hmm. When you are out actually celebrating and having fun and maybe enjoying yourself, that's when it's going to actually just knock you off your feet and take the breath from your lungs. Right. And so I just thought that was, I mean, her- a gut punch. and But her performance is spot on incredible and if she wins i think it will be for that yeah i think um it's that progression of scene work is just and then and then towards the end again this is the scene that got me is we that i I mean i was on the verge of of some tears coming a few times especially with her Mm storyline but then when she finally decides she's gonna go visit her little sister Mm-hmm. Uh, they they finally decide they're going to go to Boston and spend a couple nights in Boston. And she's like, well, drop me off at my sister's in Roxbury. They drop her off and she's got this little hat box. And when she gets up to the guest room uh. at her sister's, she opens the hat box and it's all of her son's baby stuff that she's going to now give to her sister who's her pregnant, niece or nephew. And I, as she, when she started taking the baby stuff out of the box, I was like, oh, yep. that's it. Okay. Yeah. They're coming. It was. They're coming. <laughs> it was heartbreaking. Amazing. And it's so subtle. So subtle. It's so authentic and it's so real. And I, I just think that whole progression that she has like in, you know, in the party and, and then that scene is like, yes, please, please win. <laughs> Amazing. Incredible character work in the script, in the performances. Oh, can't say enough good things. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, her performance is excellent, but they really all meld together so nicely. And like, they do understanding of humanity in 
all of these characters. And so right. we, that, that we've kind of gone over her journey and you have the journey of the other two main characters of, who are the holdovers. So you have Mr. Hunnam, Paul, and Tully, who's the kid who gets left. And after all the other kids leave, he's really salty and he's trying to leave because he has, you know, had this conflict with Paul from the very beginning. They don't get along. And we should mention that Tully's been talking about this going to Boston the whole yeah he's he's been planting the seeds for a boston trip for a while like in his first conversation with his mom he's like you told me we were going to go to boston he keeps trying to sneak away make yeah well and we we don't know the reason he's trying don't know why why we don't know why boston is so important to him yet but clearly it's it's something and they this again the script and director does and acting does a very good job of being like oh you think he just wants to like go for fun you think he's just like gonna have a good fun yeah. time in Boston, and you know, you see the kid. He's trying to sneak away, and then he's uh, Paul Giamatti's trying to like punish him for using the phone to try to sneak away, and he ends up jumping off a um, jumping off a trampoline <laughs> and dislocating his shoulder. And they go to the ER, and <laughs> son of a bitch, that's another detention. Yeah, I just loved the whole. Um, and they end up going oh. to the ER to fix his, to get his shoulder back in place um, or to see what's wrong. And they're asking about insurance. And <laughs> this is a running thing throughout the movie is they, um, I don't know what Jessica's cracking up about, but I'm sure I'll hear shortly. But they like, they're, they ask for insurance. And that's when Tully tells like a first kind of lie being like, call, starts calling yeah. Paul Giamatti dad. And he like rolls with it, but is kind of confused. Like Paul Giamatti's like, I'm gonna get like fired because like you got hurt on my watch. Like this is bad. Yeah. And so the insurance and having a record of it is gonna be a problem for him, for Paul Giamatti. And Tully right. sees that. And so when the the nurse mm-hmm. asks about insurance, Tully tells this whole lie about like, can we just pay in cash? Which like 1970. Um, yeah. Can we just pay in cash? Well, um, I, well that too. My parents are divorced. Um, my mom's gonna be so mad. I barely I, get to see my I, dad. Yeah. And Paul yeah. Giamatti's like, well, why did you, why did you tell Barton men don't lie? And he's like, I mm-hmm. just saved your ass. Like, and then they, and yeah. then after that is when they go to the restaurant. That's then they go to the the bar after that and run into Miss Crane where, where, where my worst line comes in is actually in this scene. And it is a very splitting hairs worst line because there is no worse lines in this movie, but you see, um, Miss Crane, who then she introduces, she says, call me Lydia to Paul Giamatti. And there's some flirtation there. She's flirting with him. We've already seen her bring yeah. cookies. And he is very, you know that he's lonely. You know that he's not, doesn't do this very well. They're kind of bantering back and forth. And Tully's sitting there seeing this. And after she like leaves to go take their order, he just goes, ouch, you have chemistry. And I was just like. It was bad. It was, I know. It was just a. I, I- it, it took, it's not a bad line. It's like, if I had to choose a worse line in the movie, it's not a bad line. It just took me out a second. Like it was just, it just. It's not something that a kid that age would say. It could be, who knows? But it just took me I out. Know. It just. Ouch. Ouch. It, I, it just took me out a second. And that is like, yeah. it just was like, okay, if I have to choose anything, I'm going to choose the thing that took me out a little bit, but then I was right back in when, you know, 
he's talking to her about, you know, she's asking why he's there. And he says, oh, I'm being punished. Dr. Woodruff is, how can I put this? And then Miss Crane, who's Dr. Woodruff's assistant, goes, a pompous ass with a dictator complex? Oops. What I meant to say is a lovely, <laughs> compassionate educator with a really lovely. groovy beard. And then she invites- With a really groovy beard. Yeah. And then she invites Paul and she's having, and that's when she invites them to the Christmas party. Yeah. Uh, I was laughing at, the. they're not supposed to go in the gym because the janitor is, or maybe the janitor's not doing it, but, or is- they're relacquering the floor, yeah. which is a big deal. I've worked in a gym and we've had to refinish. So you have to refinish those basketball floors and you can't go on them for days. So they're not supposed to go in there. And he's like standing at the edge of the gym. And uh, Paul's like, if you go in there, I am washing my hands of you. Do you hear me? I'm washing my hands. Mm-hmm. And he goes running in there, hits the gymnastics vault, flips in, flips over and but there's only like a really thin mat there and he must land weird because he dislocates his shoulder right they're in the car and he's just screaming in pain and (laughs) he's like i don't even remember what he's like you said you were washing my hands of me and he's like i meant it metaphorically and tully's like of course you meant it metaphorically what were you going to do actually go wash your hands I that that cracked me up. Yes. I loved that line. And this is where so this is where we get the like when like you said when um when they're talking about Barton men don't lie and he's like but I saved your ass and mm-hmm. like the whole thing they start saying this whole thing is entre nous. And and so that becomes kind of the running like between them. This whole now everything that goes well, on ends up just being between that, the two of them, and they and keep that saying like that brings a layer of confidence because then you see that come back like well in Boston, but before they go to Boston, they go they're at the party and still in the restaurant, still in the restaurant. Oh. He's about he's about to get in a fight oh, yeah, with, with some the older, older guys, guys, the pinball guys, about the pinball machine. Yes, and they come back to the table. They follow him back to the table, and he's like. I don't know. He's trying to break up the, break them up from about to fight. And he's like, and Paul's like, I don't doubt he did something to offend you. It's his specialty. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and then when they're at the party at Lydia's house, like there, you can see like, well, because Mary has convinced him to go being like, if you're too chicken shit to go to the yes. party, then just say so. But don't fuck it up for the little asshole. What's wrong with you? It's just a party. What are you afraid yeah. of? Clearly, he's afraid of like, <laughs> you know, he likes Lydia and he's afraid of putting that out there, which ultimately yeah. then comes to like bite him in the ass because she has a boyfriend. And yeah, he. Well, and I think he doesn't like parties in general because when they leave, when they have to take Mary out because she's mm-hmm. drunk and heavily grieving, he's like, I was right this is why I hate parties. Well, and the kid is like, Tully's like, I think he just doesn't want to be in that. Right. And Tully had a great time because he was, you know, flirting with her niece. uh, Lydia's niece. And she kissed, and she kissed him and all the things. And Mm -hmm. Paul Giamatti takes, takes it out on, like takes his hurt of being rejected essentially. Um, Or not even being rejected, but just being like, have it getting his hopes up for some human connection. Yeah. Um, he takes that out on uh, Tully. Yeah, he says, he's, oh, I didn't get the whole thing, but he was like, I was praying to the God I don't even believe in that, like, your parents were going to pick up the yeah. phone and you would leave. Right. And then, you know, obviously yeah. Angus gets upset because he's hurt. And Mary, who is grieving and drunk at this point, still says, 
You don't tell a boy who's been left behind at Christmas that you're aching to cut him loose, that nobody wants him. What the fuck yeah. is wrong with you? And that is yeah. when um, kind of a turning point for Hunnam and realizes, oh, I'm an asshole a little bit. And, you know, right. decides that they're going to celebrate Christmas. And the one thing that Angus wants to do is to go to Boston. And so they mm-hmm. go. Love this part. He gives he gives them both meditations by Marcus Aurelius. I know, I love that too. <laughs> um, I have that book. It is good. Um, um, I do love that the morning you see, of the, You see at the end. That he just has a stack of them when he's cleaning out his office. He has a box of them. So it must have been like a textbook and that he like yeah. had too many copies of it or something. Um, love it. But it's the thought that so, counts. I do love the next morning, Christmas morning. It is a good gift. Yeah. I love that Christmas morning um, when he asks uh, Mary how she is, she says, got a case of the cocktail flu. And that is my favorite euphemism yes, for a hangover from now on. Yeah, so they go to Boston. As you said, they drop Mary off on the way. They run into, you know, there's a sex worker who propositions Paul, which is the part that I know was verbatim. I have my best line, and I don't remember the context of it, which is really embarrassing because I think it was a great line. They're somewhere. Where were they? Oh, they're at the museum. It's the history monologue. This is... Ah, okay, yes, so okay. go ahead. So I was... Yes. No, no, I, this is the one I didn't write down because I was watching this with my husband. But can you give the context of it? I was like, you... I can't stop and go. So they have the whole candy cane thing. Yeah, so the, the... And he's like trying to tell him like, and I loved this just because of my weird fascination with John Adams in 1776. Paul Giamatti played John Adams in the HBO miniseries, mm-hmm. John Adams, that was based on the David McCullough biography, right. uh, John Adams. Um, so... I just loved this whole, like, he's putting on this show after he sends the hooker away of it, like, actually, he is fairly sexual. And, and I just think that's so funny. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, one of my two John Adams in the world, like, now in this other context being like, yes, actually, I do have sex. Yes. Um, (laughs) Probably not a connotation that anybody else in this whole world would have um, except me. And so he's, he's telling Tully like, yeah, I've had sex and like, I am a sexual person and I'm good at it and all this stuff. And he's like, Mm -hmm. I I don't even remember what he's, but he's trying to just be like you, your generation didn't invent didn't invent being sexual. Right. You didn't invent promiscuity. Um, and then they go to a museum. Yeah. Then they go to a museum and he's like pointing out this, oh, some, some, some people doing it doggy style on a Grecian urn. Yes. <laughs> and he points to it and he's like, look, candy cane. And then oh, he goes because, into because his, the, his, the, the sex worker has, is trying to like euphemistically ask if he wants to have sex by like asking if he wants a some, candy cane. Yeah. And he says, he doesn't mind if Danny get, daddy gets a little candy cane. And he says, thank you, but I've never really liked candy canes. Plus, I'm pre-diabetic. So that's like their euphemism for sex. <laughs> yes. It's candy cane. Yes. There's nothing new in human experience, Mr. Tully. Each generation thinks it invented debauchery or suffering or rebellion. But man's every impulse and appetite from the disgusting to the sublime is on display right here. All around you. So before you dismiss something as boring or irrelevant, remember, if you truly want to understand the present or yourself, you must begin in the past. 
You see, history is not simply the study of the past. It is an explanation of the present. A, I think that line is so relevant for just everything today. Yes. B, it's such a good line, not only in that it is an overview of like what Paul does as a teacher and what he's trying to impart on the kids with history, albeit he does it in a very boring manner. Um, but I think it also really parallels what you see about the characters because you have these preconceived ideas about Paul. You don't know that until late, a little later that he got kicked out of Harvard because he was- After this is when That he got out. kicked out of Harvard. So you got kicked out of Harvard for cheating? No, I got kicked out of Harvard for hitting him. You hit him? What, like punched him out? Nope, I hit him with a car. You got kicked out of Harvard for hitting a guy with a car? By accident. I'd have Jim Beam, please. But he broke three ribs, which was technically his fault because he shouldn't have been in the road. Two dollars, please. Also, he shat himself, which was the greater indignity. <laughs> <laughs> but so you don't realize, you don't know until then that he wasn't one of the rich kids who... Yeah, you realize, oh, he he had this past that hurt him. He he this is why he's like this. But the same Well, the and the and the kid that he that he hit with his was car a rich kid who lied. Was a rich kid who he they were both accused of cheating mm-hmm. during a test, but the rich kid was cheating off of him, but because the rich kid's parental unit was some big donor and big uh public figure they pinned it all on him and so he did not actually finish school he does not have a college degree the next thing is there like the next thing is they're going to a movie and angus is sneaking out and paul catches him and he's like oh you're Mm -hmm. trying to get away from me you're trying to go like drink and have fun like i i knew that you were doing this and really what he's doing we think that we learned earlier that angus's dad we thought is dead he says his dad is but dead. what we learn in that moment, he's like, oh, well, because he's like, I'm going to see my dad. And Paul was like, oh, if we were going to the cemetery, you could have we just told to me. Cemetery, like, that's no, no big issue. deal. And where they're actually going is the mental, institu- men- institution, mental institution where Angus's dad is. And that is to go back mm-hmm. to, you know, my best line. It encapsulates the movie for me, Jessica, because yes, it's, <laughs> because does. you see not only do you need an understanding of history to understand the world at large, but what he says about if you really want to understand yeah, the there's a great present bookend. or yourself, you must begin in the past. And so it's not only just the global past that helps understand, which is what which is what. Paul Hunnam is focused on, it's also the personal past because you understand these characters and where their hurt comes from. When you see in that mental institution, Angus is trying so deeply to connect with his dad. He bought a snow globe to his dad that I think he stole from the crane. Stole one. He stole Lydia's it from house. Lydia's. Yeah. Um, but he's so, and the dad is like, he's like, I love you. The, Angus is like, I love you. And he just wants to be seen by the dad. And the dad is like, I have to tell you something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they're putting something yeah, in Yeah, and, and the dad is not He's well. He's paranoid, paranoid schizophrenic, schizophrenic with early onset dementia. Right. And you just see the, the heartbreaking, the heartbreak in the kid when that happens. And that's, you, you, you understand why he is how he is. 
Well, the bookend line that I, and I didn't write it down again, I loved it. And it would have been a contender for my best line if I had not already chosen my best line, but they're talking about his dad and he's like explaining how it happened. And Angus uh, is like, I'm just so afraid I'm going to become him. And he's like, don't be afraid of that. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever becomes the, no one, no man is ever like his father. And he's like, how do you know that? And he's like, because I know I'm not my father, no matter how much he tried to beat that idea into me. I find the world a bitter and complicated place. And it seems to feel the same way about me. I think you and I have this in common. But- Don't get me wrong, you have your challenges. You're erratic and belligerent and a gigantic pain in the balls, but you're not your father. You're your own man. Yes, I know the Greeks had the idea that uh, the steps you take to avoid your fate are the very steps that lead you to it, but that's just a literary conceit. In real life, your history does not have to dictate your destiny. Oh, there's Mary. I do like that sort of... Yes, we're talking about history because he's an ancient history professor or instructor and they're in a history museum, but he is also like trying to to get Tully to think of things on a personal level in his own in his own progression through life. Like there is not you have to you have to understand that you're not the only one that's gone through the yes. things that you're going through. And this is not the only time that society has gone through these exact things. And it is an important lesson. And one that I've said since I was a little history obsessed child in school that like, and still will say that this is, this is important crap. And it, it, it's boring to a lot of people. And you know what? I don't care. you have I think to history know it. Is, you have to know. I mean, some I think history things. is the most important thing that we can be studying. And I have a hard time that thinking that people think it's boring. It's a giant freaking soap opera that's right, we're we in the middle of. So <laughs> we teach it. So we make it boring. And I mean, you know what we see, like what we see now, what we're seeing going on now with like a rise of more like fascist ideologies. It's like. Yeah, we. This is why history is important. Or, but it's also like you know why they're passing all these laws and book bannings and everything because they don't want people to know history. They want it. They don't want us to know. And yeah. it's, it's history is just so important. Well, that's a scary thing too. Too is like, we're not very far removed from these no. events. This is we and and so that's the scary thing is just like how quickly we're burning through and just going back through the same cycles now mm-hmm. at this point. And we have more access to more information than than anybody would have ever possibly imagined. And people are doing less and less with that information. Yeah. They're getting less information mm-hmm. and they're using information less and less and we have more and more of it especially in terms of when we talk about history we are more connected we have more we have more access to all of this historical Mm -hmm. information than we ever had in our lives right that this all brings us to the like you know the end of the movie where the parents his parents come to the school upset they've like 
come back early because the dad had a freak out after Tully's unsanctioned visit and they need to now find a new place. And like the mom, like I feel for the mom, you know, this is hard for the mom too, because she's basically having to take care of the mom, kind of feel for the mom. But you can see like, it's hard for her too. The, the new, the new step, the new stepdad is an asshole. I know it's okay. I know it's hard for her, but I don't yeah. care. I, I literally don't care. It's not the school's problem. I'm no, sorry. But it's, it's not. But like, if she had handled the entire thing better with her son, if she had cared about her yeah. son at all, I if agree. she had okay, any fair, shred fair, of yeah. care left for her for her ex-husband, this, this, this is just, like, you understand yeah. and you care for these people and you take care of them and it's not the fucking school's right. fault and you don't make it this whole, like, I had to leave my honeymoon in St. Kitts two days early. Like, right. fuck you. I I, I, I I hated her. I, I didn't care. I mean, yes, it's an inconvenience. An inconvenience. It is not the end of your world. It didn't ruin your life. You are ruining your son's life. Right. I hated it. It made me so mad. That's I, that's very fair. But so I, but he I, takes like, the bullet then for the kid. Because he has realized he lies. this he is him. a good kid. He And he's known the whole time that this is a smart kid. Because they're, they're going to him- kick out... The- like parents want to this take him and put him in military school. He's been school, in. This is his means, third boarding school. And they're going to put him in military school. Which then means going yep. to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Basically. So he basically says, it was my idea. I told him he needed to go visit his dad because, or I, I told him he needed to go visit his dad because he's had, he had been talking about it a bunch and I thought he should be with his family on Christmas. Yeah. And you, you fuckers didn't. So uh, yeah. And so he and get gets him. fired. But Tully gets to stay. And then and and then Hunnam, when he gets fired, um, says one of my favorite lines, which is, Hardy, I have known you since you were a boy. So I think I have the requisite experience and insight to aver that you are and always have been penis, penis cancer, cancer in and human, human form. form. And it's just a That was the last brilliant one I took. Line. I didn't really take a lot of notes from that whole last section because I was just like sucked in and just uh, and mm-hmm. I texted you and I was like, I'm, I'm f- like going back and forth between, I don't know if I should write down every single line that's being said, or just let myself get sucked into the right. movie and not write anything down. In the first half of the movie, I definitely was mm-hmm. like writing down everything because it was so freaking witty and gorgeously written. And then right. in the second half of the movie, I think I was just, and we haven't like, even touched on like half of the lines. Like I could have, I could have honestly written down every single line uh-huh. in this movie. It's so, so tight. Um, but I didn't so do good. my best line yet, which right. is, what is your the best party. Line, and he, okay. it's kind of when he first starts talking to Lydia, which I, I thought this was hilarious too, because I, I said to my husband, I was like, Oh, I love a good sixties tree. The tree is great. It's silver tinsel with bright turquoise ornaments mm-hmm. everywhere. And then right after I said that, yep. <laughs> Paul goes, I love your tree. It's so space age. And I was like, oh my God, am I Paul Hunnam? <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, no, you're way nicer. You're way kinder than Paul Hunnam. So he's, and she's kind of just like, uh, they're just chit-chatting and she says like how are you doing or something like that they kind of have the whole conversation of like why he's why Mm -hmm. he uh was the holdover and not the guy who was originally supposed to and they kind of are talking about the, the boys you know and and all this stuff and i don't remember exactly how he she 
exactly what she asks, but he says, the rich don't give a shit. Poor kids are cannon fodder. Integrity's a punchline. Trust is just a name on a bank. I knew you were going to love that line. I knew you were going to I thought it. we might both pick it. But then I got to the history yeah. monologue and I was like, oh, she might pick this. <laughs> Melanie picked the history monologue. We know each other too well. <laughs> um, it was great. It's perfect. It's perfect line. And, and that's the thing too, is like, I can see yeah. something like that being said in a different movie and being like, oh, well, that feels really forced. You don't feel mm-hmm. that with this character at all. You're like, yes, that man would say that. I, be- I believe this. Right. I buy this. That's what he would say and and it's true and it's still true and it will always be true and you know and and that's kind of what he's trying to tell these kids and he doesn't really figure out how to say it until it's too late and he's not going to get to teach them anymore right that he's that yes the all these little facts that i'm throwing at you about carthage and the peloponnesian war seem boring but what this is mm-hmm. is the key to understanding like the human struggle and our our short shitty lives on this planet because it's just going like this all the time circle with yeah. my hand for the listeners <laughs> and see the reason i didn't choose that line as my best line is because i try to be more of an optimist than mm. that that's good that's good it's good I try to be. I'm not sure it always works, but I try. Um, Yeah, I, you know, and then we leave the movie with Paul getting a chance. I mean, earlier they're like, well, why can't you write a whole book? And he was like, I don't know if I have a whole book in me. And Mary's like, you can't even dream a whole dream, dream, can you? That was probably my runner up. I was, I was going to mention it and I almost didn't. Thank you. (laughs) So she, at the very end, she gives him a journal. A big journal. Because he, now he a big journal because he he's doesn't gonna go, know what he's going to do. But he is going to go travel. Mm-hmm. And it's the impetus to go start his book. I did have another contender potentially for worst line at the end because the, the boys have all come back. And Kunt says to, again, this is so picky. Kunt says to, um, they're watching Paul Giamatti's character leave. And he goes, doesn't matter either way. He's like, doesn't know why he, they're leaving. They're like making up stories as kids do. It goes, doesn't matter. Either way, he's history. Fucker taught history. Now is history. And then this is why I'm like, he goes, right, Tully. And the reason I was like, he's, they didn't have that relationship no. that he would, like, they were so buddies. antagonistic to each other. Like, they're not buddies. Like, it wasn't a, like, yeah, they were in the same history class, but like, and at the beginning, they both didn't like him. So I guess there's that. But I don't know. Anyway. But again, that's so minuscule yeah. because everything else in this movie was so wonderful. And like, I don't normally end a movie and be like, oh, I could watch that right away again. Right. That's Ugh, exactly. I think I've done that more. I was sitting and there I, like, do I, like, I put this I was in, like, my, I... in my um, Christmas? Exactly. I was like, do I put this in my Christmas rotation? Because I kind yeah. of have like, we have like your family Christmas rotation where, you know, with thanks to you, I will probably now be watching Muppets Christmas uh, Carol. Like, I think we ended up watching it four times this year. My my middle it's child and best. I, because um, it's fantastic. It's so like you have your family, kind of your more traditional Christmassy, but then like I always watch Family mm-hmm. Stone. I think I'm going to have to have like family stone holdovers and that's just going to be like my, my, uh, 
adult Christmas. <laughs> yeah, they're great. It was uh, truly like my mom was like, "Oh, I've been wanting to watch this movie," and I was like, it "Go, was. yeah, same." My, I texted my mom. I was, I was like, like, "Do you have?" I was like, "Mom, you love Peacock? it." I was like, "Go watch it." She's like, "Okay, I'll watch like, it tomorrow. I was like, You'll love it." <laughs> This movie was so perfect for me on Tuesday because I was feeling sad. Yeah. I was feeling lonely. I was feeling, because I mean, all of those things because I had been by myself for a few days and not had real connection and not had any of that. And so I was kind of in a like sad, melancholy spot, which I think is very normal for a lot of people when the weather sucks and you're just kind of... And after the holidays or sometimes during the holidays... You know, I saw this and I saw another movie this past weekend called Fitting In, which was another coming of age movie um, that was based on the writer director's life. And it's a beautiful movie, an indie film, highly recommended if it's in your area. It's beautiful and funny and the same type of thing. It's like because life isn't all sad. It's not all bad when we're in. And I think that's one of the things, too, when we're in this like we're hearing such bad news. It's one thing after another of like. You could be like everything sucks, but like in that same time, the of like world is things on fire. being <laughs> right, your life can still have your life can mm-hmm. be good. Life can have moments of joy. The world can have moments of joy. In fact, the world has a lot more positive moments than negative ones that we don't talk about because positive news doesn't right. sell. That I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. And everybody I've talked to who has seen it is yeah. like, what a beautiful movie. Yes, like everybody, everybody I've talked to, what a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. I so, I agree. I don't think we're going to find anything bad to say about it. I think this is a resounding uh, go watch this movie from us. Go watch it. I mean, you've just heard us talk. So, because we've talked about this movie for... But I don't think it's the kind of movie that like you can really spoil. Because what we didn't spoil mm, is like... I guess there are, yeah, there's, there's a couple Some surprises. Um, yeah. But like what we didn't spoil was half of the dialogue. Like I have so many things we didn't even talk about. Yes. And we can't cause we've been going on for almost an hour and a half. Like we, there is so much. It's so rich. So much incredible dialogue and interactions and, 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 mm-hmm. And acting, it's the so acting, rich. I mean, we're not an acting, like, we're not here just, just, I mean, we focus on the lines and stuff, but, but I mean, like, God, Paul Giamatti is just like the, the king of, um, what did I write? Uh, scathing looks, just mm-hmm. the looks he well, gives and, the children. Ooh, <laughs> the one thing I will say about the acting is this is the kid's first movie. Um, he was, I was found... wondering that. I was like, I've okay, never so seen no, this kid. I haven't heard a word one right, about him. Right. Because incredible. Because because he was found because they were scouting locations and they decided to um, audition people who were in those like schools in those areas in New England. <laughs> like, open, did an open call for auditions, incredible. and that's where he came from. Hmm. Amazing. And I mean, so I think, you know, it's not necessarily a polished performance, but I think that's, again, what makes it so authentic and real. And he's so good. He's so good. I loved it. I have, I have nothing negative to say about this movie other than I think, unfortunately, it's going to be overshadowed by Oppenheimer, which 
is well it's the type of movie that gets overshadowed it really is i'm i mean and i'm glad that it's getting the recognition that it did even if it wasn't barbenheimer year right it, it just doesn't like we've been saying it's not in your face it's not this big heavy drama it it straddles this dramedy line that that very often gets overlooked like sideways yeah. did. I mean, sideways picked up a couple golden globes. It was definitely like hit the mainstream yeah. critics radar. Um, people knew about it, but it just never picks up the same amount of steam in the, in the right. Oscar awards that, that your, your like darker meteor dramas really do. Um, right. Which is, which is, you know, unfortunate because these are the types of movies that we actually feel good about seeing. Like I keep saying, I am not going to watch Oppenheimer. I'm sorry. I, I love history. Now. As we have said, I love history. I'm so, I just don't mm-hmm. know if I can do it. Like, the, you yeah. know, this is a, somewhere I, I have to I put can... up like an emotional boundary because I realize like That's... what watching two and a half, two, two and a half, three hours of these types of movies, like, does to my That's brain <laughs> i entirely fair but the good news and is like, it's now out in it's now out in our on streaming so yeah you can um stop and take a break exactly get really drunk um, i don't know i don't know yeah, like that's the whole thing is exactly. like i don't know how to get through it i just don't well or or like killers yeah. of the flower moon i just don't know if i can like watch the the worst moments I can't do in that. In humanity. One, no. Can I read about them? Sure. Like there there is yeah, there's but something this different. visual and the and the way that they I mean, because obviously we're trying to play off of not off of, but into the human emotional reaction to it. That's what that's what why yeah. they get awards is because it it's, it stirs things in you. It makes you have this reaction. I don't want to have mm-hmm. those reactions anymore. I want to have the reactions that I nope. had to this movie. I want to be right. Touched. And I think like I don't want to be horrified. I, yeah. I want to be touched. You know, we can get into the whole whatever I, we think about the Manhattan Project and all that too. But no. all that is we to can't. say, um, <laughs> we, can't we can't get into we that. Can't. No, we should not. <laughs> We're not um, going to. All that is to say, this was a lovely start to our Oscar. Wonderful season episodes um i'm so glad we did this um as always you can follow us at best line worst line on instagram download subscribe rate review anywhere you get your podcast it really helps us out please definitely follow us somewhere instagram or or um wherever you get your podcasts we we will be having some big, fun, exciting things coming up this season. Ooh, yes, very some big soon. Announcements. Some big so announcements you soon. don't want so, to miss them. I promise. No. Follow, follow, follow. Yeah. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Well, I look forward to your fine cooking. Oh, no, no, don't do that.